0: Scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put on our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory." And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory.
1: Buenos días y feliz año. La lectura de esta mañana se encuentra en Efesios, eh, primer capítulo, versículos 1 al 14. Pablo, apóstol de Cristo, Jesús, por la voluntad de Dios, a los santos y fieles en Cristo Jesús que están en Éfeso. Que Dios nuestro Padre y el Señor Jesucristo les concedan gracia y paz. Alabado sea Dios, Padre de nuestro Señor Jesucristo, que nos ha bendecido en las regiones celestiales con toda bendición espiritual en Cristo. Dios nos escogió en Él antes de la creación del mundo, para que seamos santos y sin mancha delante de Él. El amor nos predestinó para ser adoptados como hijos suyos por medio de Jesucristo, según el buen propósito de su voluntad, para alabanza de su gloriosa gracia que nos concedió en su amado. En él tenemos la redención mediante su sangre, el perdón de nuestros pecados, conforme a las riquezas de la gracia que Dios nos dio en abundancia con toda sabiduría y entendimiento. Él nos hizo conocer el misterio de su voluntad conforme al buen propósito y que de antemano estableció en Cristo, para llevarlo a cabo cuando se cumpliera el tiempo, reunir en él todas las cosas, tanto las del cielo como las de la tierra. En Cristo también fuimos hechos herederos, pues fuimos predestinados según el plan de aquel que hace todas las cosas conforme al designio de su voluntad, a fin de que nosotros, que ya hemos puesto nuestra esperanza en Cristo, seamos para la alabanza de su gloria. En él también ustedes cuando oyeron el mensaje de la verdad, el evangelio que les trajo la salvación y lo creyeron, fueron marcados con el sello que es el Espíritu Santo prometido. Esta garantiza, este garantiza nuestra herencia hasta que llegue la redención final del pueblo adquirido por Dios para alabanza de su gloria.
2: We're starting a new series today, uh, a new study of the book of Ephesians. Uh, We've been looking forward to this and looking forward to examining this rich, rich letter that was written probably around 52, 54 A.D. in the first century, uh, given to Christians in the region of Ephesus, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, as you see up here on the map on the screens. Uh... I think there's something here for all of us, whether if you're brand new to the Christian faith or if you've been walking with God and Jesus for many years. It's so rich, this passage today as well as this whole book. So let's dive in and let's see what God has in store for us and let's pray. God, we really do want to um, come to you and to this passage with open hearts and open lives and So we pray that you would give us all the help that we need to be able to hear from you without resistance. We sang earlier, I surrender all. We want to surrender all our our desires and impulses to stiff arm you. uh, To cut you off and say, you can't go to that part of my life, that part of my heart. Uh, Ways in which we want to believe what we want to believe, rather than letting you show us what's true and right and beautiful. Uh, So in every way, we come to you now by the power of your Spirit. And we say, we surrender all. And we surrender ourselves before this text. We surrender ourselves before Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Things could be better. And there must be more. I wonder if those are two loud aches longings, you might even call them prayers, in our hearts. Things could be better. There must be more. Especially in this time of year, the new year, as you look ahead to a, a great, wonderful prospect of a fruitful year, a better year than the year past, ways in which you can grow as a person and become a better version of you, perhaps. You might say, in a sense, we all want blessing, uh, more and better, uh, whether if it's work blessing, open doors for a new job, a better job, or more contentment in your job, or maybe home blessing, that your life with your children or your roommates, friends, might be richly blessed. Relationships. Maybe you're looking for a dating blessing, maybe marriage blessing. Maybe something that is an ache in your heart that you're not able to share. We want things to be better than we are. We often carry within us a feeling of lack, a restlessness. Do you feel that today? But what if, dear friends, what if you already have everything That you really need and everything that you most deeply desire. Which is the stunning and even provocative claim, promise, that the Apostle Paul offers up to us, to the original Ephesian Christians, when he says in verse 3 that God has indeed blessed us, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing already yours. What if we already have everything you most need and most deeply desire? What we're going to look at here. And three quick parts is simply, how do you, first of all, get these spiritual blessings? And secondly, well, what are they? What does the Apostle tell us they are? And thirdly, why are we given these spiritual blessings? So how do you get them? What are they? And why are we given them in the first place? How do we get them? How we get them is in Jesus Christ and as a gift of God's grace. See, so first notice that these blessings that the Apostle Paul is talking about are found in Jesus Christ. Twelve times, again and again and again throughout this passage, he uses this phrase or some variation of it in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Because it's through Him. It's in being in relationship with Him. It's in being deeply, mystically united to Jesus by faith. That everything that belongs to Jesus is now yours. You want these blessings? Well, you need Jesus. Who mediates all the riches and the glory of the gifts that God wants to enrich Your life with. That if we're organically attached to Jesus by faith, then we're sort of like branches are to a vine or like body parts are to a a torso. We are one with Him and therefore we receive all the blessings that come in Him. Not apart from Him and not even directly from God the Father without His Son, we need Jesus. But second, these blessings, we're told, are a gift of grace. How much does it cost you to receive this? To receive these? Absolutely nothing. It's the stunning story of grace at the center of all things in the Bible. Unmerited, undeserved favor and blessing from God. Verse six, we're told these blessings are an outflow of God's glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In verse seven, we're told about the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. These blessings are a joy for God to give you. You don't need to manipulate him to get them. In verse five, we're told that these gifts are given in accordance with his pleasure and his will. And again, in verse 9, they're given in accordance with His good pleasure. It makes God happy to bless you. So don't you dare think that you need to manipulate Him or bribe Him before He'll actually pour out kindness into your life through Jesus. How do you receive a gift like this? Christmas wasn't too long ago, just a couple of days ago. What's the best Christmas gift that you received this past Christmas? The best gift. And as you received it, maybe you just opened it up, or maybe a person gave it to you. Maybe you clicked on your computer and that's how you got it. I don't know. But when you received that gift, what if you turned to the person that gave it to you and you started pulling out your purse or your wallet and you said to them, well, How much do I owe you now? How much do I owe you for this? I want to pay you now. You might have gotten a funny look or maybe even a scowl. Maybe even offending the gift giver who with all generosity wanted to bless you with a gift. How do you receive a gift? You open your hands and you say thank you. You don't say, hey, look here, I got another one just like that. It's actually better. Here it is. Or you don't say, well, what a great gift. Let me try to fix it or improve on it. Let me do better. You take it and you say thank you. And that, dear friends, is all that God desires of you as a recipient of His grace. To receive it as a gift. As we're told in verse 13, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you simply believed. It doesn't say that you received the gospel of your salvation when you cleaned up your life, when you showed good moral progress, when you demonstrated deep sincerity of heart, when you proved that God made a good choice. No, no. When you heard about the good news of Jesus like you are today today. And you simply said, yes. Could it be true? Could that really be all that God asks of it? Ponder it. Grace is amazing if we let it amaze us. That's how we receive these blessings. But what are they? What are they? Look. Verses 3 through 14 is actually in the original ancient language. One single long run-on sentence. Oh, Jesus, right. (laughs) Doesn't take a breath. It's almost like the Apostle is just spilling over with all these things that are coming to his mind and heart as he lists off blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing after gift after gift that is given to us. And this, of course, is only just a sampling of all that is infinitely given to us in Christ Jesus but we could spend eight weeks, eight months on just these verses alone, so it's going to feel like a whirlwind. But let's talk a little bit about what the Apostle in his wonderful run-on sentence offers up as all these every spiritual blessings. Blessing number one, chosenness. Verse four, He chose us in Him before the creation of the world. Friends, God's love for you was not accidental. It was not an afterthought. He did not come by and rescue you like one who notices a helpless person on the side of the road in passing. God set his love upon you with a laser beam focus. Before He made anything, before He made you. Before creation, before time began, when only God Himself existed. In that time, or in that non-time, God did something, He made a decision, He made a commitment, He made a promise, and that is, that if you're in Christ, He loves you. He loves you. He chose us in Christ and he does this in a personal fashion by name. This past week I had the entertaining and interesting experience of hanging out at the Coop, this great coffee house and restaurant, diner just around the corner here and sitting at a table, minding my own business, actually, honestly, working on this very sermon, uh, when uh, one of the waiters, who I've spent plenty of times with, came up to me and said, excuse me, really, really sorry, but you're going to have to move to another table. I looked around and figured, oh, someone must be coming in. It was clear that a couple of people in suits had showed up. I wasn't too happy that I was being interrupted. And I kind of muttered to myself, somebody really thinks they're important. A few minutes later, rumors started going around the president was paying a visit. Important indeed. And, of course, long story short, had the pleasure, it was just a fun afternoon of just being uh, in the same space as him. Why he decided to uh, visit our little coffee shop around the corner, uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I have some guesses, but I don't know. Uh, But one interesting thing was talking to the woman that was next to me who used to be a former uh, staff person in the White House uh, last term, and of course she was giddy with excitement to see her old boss, but wasn't sure if he would remember who she was. And so of course when the president came by and started shaking hands and uh, eventually got to her before he got to me and uh, paused for a while and started chit-chatting with her and One of his staffers said, well, here's Marta, of course, you remember her, she used to be, and he said, of course I remember you. Of course, she brightened up and beamed up and was talking with him with all admiration that she has for the president, appropriately so. And it just was this reminder of how important it is to us to be known by name. And not just by an important person, you've experienced it even in a small church setting like this. You meet a person one week and the next week. You're surprised when they call you by name. Because it means something to be known by name. To be chosen in Christ means simply this. God doesn't love you generally. God doesn't love you anonymously. God loves you personally. He loves you by name. And that when Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, he bled for you specifically. He bled for you by name. Blessing number one is our chosenness. Blessing number two is what you might call predestining love, which is, of course, related to what we just talked about. This past weekend, Paula and me got into one of those conversations that a husband and wife might get into once in a while. You kind of bring your heart to each other with vulnerability and you start to ask things like, are you sure you didn't want to marry someone a little bit different than me? Uh, Are you sure you didn't want to be with a different kind of person or or have I turned out to be a, a different sort of person than the one you thought you were getting into? I don't know if you've ever said that to a person, had that conversation, because we all carry within us fears that a person that surely says they love us might actually change their mind based on the presenting evidence. Because I might convince them that I'm not as lovable as they might have thought I was. Look how different the love of God is. The predestining love of God. You see, we in our human relations might change our mind. Here's the good news if God has set His love upon you, He will never change His mind. You know why? Because He loved us even before you could do anything to merit His love or to demerit His love. He loved you before you were created. That's predestining love. Because we could, he, he loved us before you could do anything good. And he loved you before you could do anything bad to disqualify yourself from his love. His love precedes our accomplishments and outlasts our failures. And this gives us incredible confidence, doesn't it? Security. So no, he's not going to change his mind about you, dear sinner. About you, dear person, who on a daily purse Uh, on a daily basis like me, actually does disqualify himself or herself from the love of God. But he doesn't do it. Because that's not why he loved you in the first place. Do you see? Verse 5, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In other words, we're loved not because of what is in us, but because of what is in God and in the heart of God. And dear friends, that is good news. Because the greatest love that all of us long for, not just in God, but even in our romantic relationships, even in our friendships. Is that we might be able to go to a person and say, why do you love me? And the nightmare of all nightmares and the horror of all horrors is that they might reply, I love you at the end of the day because you're useful to me. Or because you look good to me. Or because you've done good to me. Because then what happens on the day when I'm no longer useful, and no longer look good, and no longer do good? But here is the predestining love of God that we all deeply long for. When you look at God in the face and you say, why? Why would you love me? Why would you save me? Why would you talk to me? Why would you befriend me? Why would you bring me into your family? Why would you love me? to hear him say, I love you simply because I love you. Not because you're useful. Not because you're good. But I love you. Simply because I love you. Do you love me? Do you love me, dear God, because I'm rich? Do you love me because I'm broke? No, I love you because I love you. Do you love me because I'm smart or because I'm athletic or because I'm I'm friendly to people because I don't know if I can keep it up, God? I don't know, today is going well, but tomorrow might not. Or yesterday went well and today isn't. What if these things fall short? I love you because I love you. Do you love me because I look real good because I know this ain't going to last? No, I love you because I love you. I love you because I love you. Because I've loved you before the world began, before your life began. So your failures cannot destroy my love. And I will not change my mind about you. You've always been in my heart. I love you because I love you. Blessing number three, blamelessness. Blamelessness, in verse 4, we're told he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Holy and blameless. Also, we could translate that uh, set apart, distinct, special, and without blemish in the sight of God. Do you know that God looks at you that way? No blemish in sight. was thinking about how we live with blemishes and we deal with the consequences of our blemishes. Uh, Enjoyed looking at this one blog post uh, a while back that shared uh, different perspectives that relatively recent immigrants had on America question was posed, what stood out to you when you first arrived in this country and got to know American life? And some of you could fill in interesting stories and perspectives yourself. Of course, one thing that came up again and again was how much we eat here in this country. Uh, It's like all-star eating, uh, comparable to nothing else in the world. No other people know their nation. Uh, But one thing that I thought was funny uh, that was raised was this intriguing thing called the credit score person uh, somewhere from the Middle East, I believe, said a, a strange thing. Uh, you, you cannot get a loan unless you have this thing called a credit score. Uh, and you cannot have a good credit score unless you have a loan. Uh, and I thought about how uh, you don't think about these things, how unique it is. And, of course, I got to thinking about the reality that when it comes to credit or credit scores and that sort of thing, uh, you, you got a small blemish. You carry that for a long, long time, don't you? was thinking about that recently when we purchased our home and uh, settled in. And, of course, in that process, you're looking at every last detail of your personal finances And looking at our credit and credit scores, applying for a loan and stuff, you're just confronted, as I was, with the ways that uh, we, we live in a world where blemishes can haunt you for a long time, even the smallest of ones that even cost you real dollars in this life. How much energy we put into removing our blemishes. Whether if it's your resume or your rap sheet. Or maybe your body, physical blemishes that you don't like. Your moral record, maybe a mistake you made years ago. Spend so much time and energy trying to rid ourselves of each spot, each dark blot on our lives. Here's good news. God sees you as blemishless in Christ. That you are holy and blameless in his sight. God doesn't even see them. He doesn't count them against you. He sees you as he sees Jesus, spotless. That we might sing the words of the old hymn. We sing it sometimes here. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. To thee whose blood can clean each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Will you come to the one who removes your blemishes? Blessing number four, adoption. Adoption. Verse five, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Of course, what the apostle is talking about here is, roman and ephesian law in which allowed for people to adopt children and therefore allow those children to enjoy all the same rights and privileges as natural children might in families similar to adoptees here in this country and it's this incredible story about the love of god who goes beyond simply looking past your blemishes but makes you his son and his daughter The love of God, that God offers you, loving you with the same love that he gives to Jesus. And of all the different aspects of the blessing of adoption in Christ, can we talk about one? And it's this, the freedom we can have from fear. Because we live our lives like fearful, parentless orphans, don't we? Sometimes it doesn't process like fear. Sometimes it's just a nervousness and a restlessness. Sometimes it's a do good and I'm making life work for me on the surface that underneath is actually fear. The fear that I need to protect myself because no one else will. The fear that I need to fend for myself and provide for my own needs because who else is going to do that for me? the fear that I need to provide for myself or maybe tell myself I don't even need it, provide love and affection and intimacy. All these ways in which the Bible says we tend on a daily basis to live like fatherless orphans. Dear friends, if you've been adopted in Jesus into the family of God, you have God as your father who protects you, who will provide for your every need, who will give you love and affection and intimacy and access to his very own heart. And he gives you not only this, freedom from fear, but he gives you a family which is what we're trying to be here at Grace Meridian Hill, and not just use it as a metaphor, but to really try to cultivate family-like intimacy. To love each other in the rough and tumble and rawness of life. To walk with each other, not just out of delight, but out of proper duty as well, because that's what families do. I love you because I care for you, but also because I should To be there for one another through thick and thin. One of these wonderful blessings of adoption. Related to that here, the apostle continues this this avalanche of blessing that he's listing off. Blessing number five, freedom. And who doesn't want that? Verse 7, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sin. And this word redemption, of course, in the ancient context, specifically referred to freedom at a price. It was a word typically used in the manumission of slaves. See, what God is saying here is you have been freed in Christ because you were, and perhaps still are in some ways, a slave to sin. A slave to yourself. A slave to your fears, to your desires, to your supposed needs. And if you're a slave, you can't free yourself. You need to be rescued by someone or something outside of ourselves. Many of you have watched and enjoyed or, or better said appreciated the movie 12 Years a Slave. What would it be like to watch a movie like that? as a graphic analogy of the way that sin abuses us and holds us in bondage, and then the way in which Jesus sets us free. Do you want to be free? Free from the power of guilt, free from self-absorption, free from the fear of death free from you that you can actually love people with your whole heart and to love God with your whole heart perhaps for the first time do you want freedom it's a blessing in Christ blessing number six forgiveness verse seven in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins the blessing of forgiveness That God has actually poured out His just wrath upon Jesus that you and I should have borne as just punishment for our sins. That Jesus got justice on the cross in your place so that you would get mercy and love and joy and forgiveness because of Him. And I know that some of you are tuning out already. I know that because I know my heart as well. Forgiveness, yeah, yeah, I believe that. What Christian church doesn't talk about that on some level? But let me ask you this. If you truly did believe that, when bad things happen to you, when life gets rough, why do you then feel like God is always punishing you? Because you see, dear friends, here is the great promise of forgiveness. What God has already punished in Christ on the cross, He cannot punish again. Which is why the celebration of the gospel in Romans 8 sounds like this. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews 10, that when sins have been forgiven there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Because if you're an adopted child of God, and if Jesus has indeed quenched all the wrath of God for your sins already, and you are forgiven, then nothing that flows out of God's heart into your life is anything but what's for your good. And if God is for us, who can be against us? That the banner over our lives, our forgiven lives, might be for all these sins that you and I daily commit and from the place from which they come from, a sinful soul that Jesus pronounces over you and me paid in full. Amen. Blessing number seven. And blessing number eight, for the sake of time, I'm going to move past these two. Will I dare? We went through six. Number seven, a revealed future. God uniting all things to himself. We'll come back to it, don't worry. Blessing number eight, that we have in us the Holy Spirit. Nothing less than the Spirit of God. God is never far from you. I want to simply close with this final word and this final point. How do we receive these every spiritual blessings? We receive it in Jesus by his grace, opening up arms of faith and saying thank you. What are they? We've listed off many, every spiritual blessing we have in Christ. Why are these blessings then given to us? I want to give you just one main application for our time, one main response that I would encourage you to give before God today, and it's this. Why are we given these things? To praise Him. Verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us like this. Verse 6, that all these things have been done, why? To the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, that He has rescued us and redeemed us in order that we might be for the praise of His glory. And verse 14, to sum it all up, God has blessed us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing in Christ to the praise of Of his glory. Will you today. Give him. Praise. Will you take from this. Lavish. Treasure of riches. To use the language that Paul uses. Riches upon riches. That never run out. And can you count every penny. Of the infinite magnitude. Of God's kindness to you. And give him. Proportional praise praise that he deserves. Because there's a difference, friends, between saying, oh, these blessings are so great, and oh, this God is so great. Because some of us know well how to praise God for his blessings. But not all of us have learned well how to praise the God of blessing. Because you can love the blessing of God and actually not love God himself. Oh, that we would learn as the old doxology goes, praise God from whom all blessings flow. To praise God, to give him joy from your heart and to experience that joy yourself. C.S. Lewis, in his reflection on the Psalms, gives us some wise words, insightful words, when he tells us that praise is simply the spontaneous overflow of our enjoyment of something or someone. You praise what you enjoy. You praise what you value. You praise what you love. We just can't help it. And we love praising what we enjoy because our praise actually completes the joy. We love telling other people what a great football game it was last night, last week, whatever your favorite game was, because there's joy that you share in praising it. We're talking about a person you've come to admire. There's joy that you experience in praising them. It's how we are wired. So Lewis concludes, fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, in praising Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Which means if Lewis is right, the goal of praise is not only God's glory, but also our joy. Do you know the joy of these blessings? Have you praised him for it? Have you counted and savored every spiritual blessing you have in Christ? Consider how you might do that. That our lives might be to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. And so we give ourselves to you. And we offer ourselves to you as a sacrifice of praise because of all that you have been for us and all that you have given to us in Christ our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.